in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 14. For those who are visiting for the first time, we're doing a series of messages from the book of uh, Ezekiel. And I've said to several people who, who've um, spoken to about how this book is ministered to them, how how uh, sometimes I think I'm saying the same things over and over again, and I've been encouraged by them to say that's because uh, that's the way we learn by repetition. Matt Lee has just finished a wonderful, uh, one of our elders, a wonderful class on catechism, family devotions, and, uh, and that's how you learn those. You repeat them over and over until it becomes a part of you, and uh, that's no doubt the message behind the prophets. So, uh, this morning we'll do verses 1 through 11 of Ezekiel 14, and tonight they'll begin again in chapter, uh, in verse 12 of 14 to the end of the chapter. Give your attention to the word of God. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. These men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who were all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself, and I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword, and cut him off from the midst of my people, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear their punishment. The punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the inquirer shall be alike, that the house of Israel may, may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, declares the Lord God. Heavenly Father, blessed to our understanding this reading and the application of your infallible, inerrant word. 
no organization, no, no church, no institution, <clears throat> nothing that you can think of in life that deals with people and its organization will ever rise above its leadership. And that is just, that is one of those kingdom principles that is just universally true. <coughs> The, when the elders, it says certain elders, certain of the elders of Israel came and sat before me. Ezekiel is, is probably referring to the same elders that he referred to back in chapter 8, though it's not really clear uh, from the text. And, the, and he proceeds to give an answer uh, to these elders that is very similar to um, the the um, elders in uh, chapter 8. They were those who were in charge of families. That's how ancient Israel was organized, by families, by the, the uh, patriarchal heads, and those who, whose, uh, who were descendants from them. We loosely followed uh, that structure, uh, we try to follow that structure in the Presbyterian Church. Some people, you may be here, you may not know what Presbyterian means. I didn't know what it meant for years until I went to seminary. It means it means uh, run by old men. That's what it means. <laughs> Finally, have arrived. Became a Presbyterian elder when I was 25 years old. And I laughed about it and thought and thought. Now I think, well, man, I'm getting close. I'm now arrived. Um, they were to be the leaders spiritually of the people, and so they came to Ezekiel. They heard about Ezekiel's incredible ministry, the incredible visions that God had given him, and raising him up, up into heaven. To see heaven itself and the angels in heaven and, and everything that was going to take place. And they came to him, no doubt, looking for some kind of encouragement and hope that this exile to Babylon, far from their homes, would not take a long time or something to that effect. And as often happens when you come to hear the word of God, you don't necessarily hear what you want to hear. The answer is quick and direct as they come. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. And they have set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? We've talked about this in terms of idolatry. Um, the idols of Israel were very real and very tangible. There was one to the sun uh, set up on the east side of the temple and one to the moon set up on 
the south side of the temple and the people of Israel had blatantly taken these images into their homes and into their lives. But not only were they tangible, visible representations of the false gods of the surrounding nations, this is spoken to the elders who were in Babylon. And the real place of idolatry in the elders' hearts and the people's hearts is exposed. It's, it's, a, it's not the physical location of the statues of the, of the idols, it's the location of the idolatry that resides in their hearts. <clears throat> Several people that I love dearly, including uh, Dr. Henry Cobbendon, said, the heart of the matter is indeed the matter of the heart. That is, um, that is essentially how we how we live and, and move and have our being before God. It, it makes up who we are. And these idols are not merely the statutes that represented uh, these um, supposed deities in the ancient world. They represented what those idols promised. And what did those idols promise? They promised pleasure. And they promised peace. And they promised prosperity to the people. And they were convenient for the people. And they merely represented the idols that all people in all times naturally erect in their hearts. I cannot help but think of the application to a, a present issue in our own family of churches and an idol of the heart that has been set up in the heart of many called identity. The only identity any child of God, any leader in the church should ever have is, is his identity in Christ, in union with Christ. His identity as a saved sinner rescued from the wickedness of this world. Lord asks, why, why should I let these, these, these idolatrous elders ask me anything? Because they have substituted the living God for an idol that they worship in their heart. The scripture is very plain in many other places. The writer of Proverbs 15, verse 8, the sacrifice says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to God. The psalmist in Psalm, Psalm 66, verse 18, says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Years ago, there was a big controversy about whether the Lord heard, heard, even heard the prayers of, of unbelievers. He, the only prayer that he, 
He hears everything. God knows everything. He hears everything. It's, to me, it was a ludicrous discussion in the first place. God hears, knows everything. But the question is not that he hears it. How does he regard it? In the heart of, of those who profess to know him, if there is an idol in, before God that you are worshiping, you can be assured that the Lord does not hear. It's the contrite and broken heart, the repentant heart that the Lord hears the prayer of. The Apostle Paul writing in Romans, writing his famous letter to the Romans in chapter 1, he, he makes it clear what the end of idolatry is. He, he defines idolatry very, very simply. It's worshiping the, the creature and the creation rather than the creator. And, and the end of it is sexual debauchery. Men and women giving up their natural affections and functions for one another rather than worshiping the one true God and understanding all of his blessings. This is, this is where, where we live. Our culture is constantly erecting idols. <coughs> John Calvin and if you search for this quote in chapter 1 of uh, his institute, you'll, you'll have a hard time finding it. But it, it, it because it, it's, he wrote that in Latin, and then it was translated into French, and the English translators. <laughs> but it's in the first chapter. It's, on, it's under the section on the commandments, and it's on the section of, of idols. And it, it basically, Calvin says, the heart of humans in his commentary on, on the uh, uh, second commandment, the heart is, is such that it just is a factory. It, it manufactures, it's a forge. And what he literally says is a forge of idols. And where the human heart is just constantly hammering out different idols to worship. And that is a picture of the world we live in, whether it's identity whether it's any one of the multitudinous colors of the ever-expanding rainbow, whatever flag, whether it is good old-fashioned materialism, whether it's our own personal peace and pleasure, our own personal affluence, whether it is a government that increasingly demands of its citizens that we worship it and serve it, setting aside the incredible birthright we've been given in this country of inalienable rights that come from God.
these elders had sold out to those. And as they come, as they seek a word of encouragement, they don't get a word of encouragement. <laughs> Why should I bother to listen to them? They've led the people astray. They're exposed. You see how they're exposed in verses 4 and 5. The Lord says to Ezekiel, speak to them. Thus says the Lord as one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling blocks of iniquity before his face. And yet he comes to the prophet. I, the Lord, will answer to him with his multitudes of idols. What are, what are, it, it leads us to ask the question, what are the idols in my life? What are the idols in your life? What, what, what are you worshiping? We have millions and millions who are enslaved to what I believe is the most pernicious idol in our culture, and that is pornography, rampant pornography. I, and I believe this, this idol is, is probably the most analogous idol to these ancient idols that God was condemning because there was such a sexual component to them of all stripes, just as it is today. There is nothing new under the sun. And, and then that idol is taken to steroids on, on video games. Our, our young people are just being swept away. If you have young people and they're playing video games, you better pay attention. The violence and the murder and the, and the, and the uh, hatred that is fomented in those is hard to, hard to imagine causing so many rare young people to live in a fantasy world that is simply idolatrous. The obsessions of our culture that, that, that are not new, they've been around for, for, for generations. We call uh, famous people whether in, in, uh, in, uh, in the entertainment industry, even we call them idols or icons. You know, on the first uh, uh, winning occasion of the football se season, dare I say it. <laughs> Sports figures and celebrations <clears throat> that dominate our minds and our hearts to where God is crowded out. God is intent on telling the people of Israel, it is your idols that have brought you into bondage. They have not given you freedom. They have not given you uh, joy. They have not given you uh, blessings from God. They have brought you into bondage. <clears throat> they are deadly soul destroyers. And God is not pleased. He doesn't wink at them. He doesn't laugh at them. He doesn't, nah, this is okay. No. He calls them what they are. And he will have none of it with his people. He has not left us hopeless. Idolaters 
here are called to repent. They are entreated by the word of God to repent, whether they're their elders or whether the people they are the people of Israel, they are called to repent. talks about a deceiving prophet in verse 9 and if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word it's the Lord some 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 point to verse 9 and say well this is the, you know, the Lord is telling these prophets to lie no the Lord is giving these prophets over to their lives it is a part of the judgment of God wicked Elders, wicked ministers, they are part of uh, the judgment of God. When, when a country has wicked leadership, when a nation has, um, when, a, when a church has wicked uh, ministers, when, when wicked people are in authority, that is a part of the judgment of God. Judgment includes lying to be accepted as the truth. God is giving them over. And he's saying that they will bear the punishment that comes with that. It'll come to the one who is the prophet and the one who goes to a false prophet, prophet alike. Thus says the Lord, repent. There's this wonderful word in the Hebrew called shuv. It, mean, it, it means to turn. It means to be going one direction and then turn and go in the opposite direction. Those of you who've been in the military, you learned an order in marching called about face. And that's exactly what this word means. It means to be go to go in one direction and then to turn and go in the opposite direction. This is what God has called us to. Turn away from your idols. Turn away from the lies of the world. Turn away from the lies of False teachers, as we learned last uh, Sunday night in, in uh, chapter 13, false prophets and false prophetesses and their lives and how they destroy people. Turn away from them because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first. And note here as well, also to the stranger. To the Gentiles. God's desire is that his people, the Jewish people here, not go astray. His desire for everyone who calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ and is a part of the visible church not to go astray, but to turn. And repentance is not something that happens just one time. 
Salvation is a one-time act. We learn that in our catechism. Justification is a one-time act where God declares us righteous all at once. And once you come to faith and trust in Christ, you're never going to be more righteous than that. But you're going to have this battle with remaining sin. And the, 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 the coin of conversion has two sides. On the one side is, is, is faith or trust in the Lord and his promises of forgiveness for everyone who comes to him. But if you turn it over and it's one coin, the other side is repentance. And the whole Christian life is to be one of repentance. It is an ongoing work. That's why Ezekiel is told by the Lord here to call upon the house of Israel that they would not go astray from him anymore, to turn from their idolatry, to place their hope in the living God. I would ask in closing and an application some questions. One, is anything worth more to you than your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? What are the idols? I would ask you, what are the idols in your heart? And they may not be uh, wicked uh, idols. They may not even be pornographic idols or icons out in the the uh, in, in the world. But maybe they're maybe they're your hobbies. How easily we can become slaves to recreation. That is not bad in itself, but but they, we put it in in front of and in place of the worship of the living God. It could even be those who are closest to us. We can make our loved ones an idol, our children an idol, our grandchildren, and so so on. It's anything, it can be anything that we place before the priority of our relationship with the Lord, and the Lord will have none of it. I, I stands out vividly, one of the wonderful uh, messages we heard in the video series from Sinclair Ferguson. I think, I, I don't remember which one it was, but it just stood out vividly to me how he had a friend who was was uh, struggling with his uh, pornography problem and he had this wonderful new uh, uh, laptop computer that was the source of his problem and his advice is to go and he, he named, I, I wish I had a Scottish brogue and I could say it <laughs> yeah. like he did. He says, you should go to the edge of the lock and you should take your computer and you should cast it as far into it, to the bottom of it, as you possibly can. Get rid of your idols. Put them aside. 
And the only way to do that is not simply have willpower to do it. It's, 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 it's putting your faith and trust in Jesus alone and turning your back upon your idol. Every idol that we would worship promises to exalt some aspect of your person. And they, they, they are numerous, whether it's beauty or whether it's success or whether it's intellectual ability or physical strength, hard work, you, any, any of these good things can so rapidly become idols in our lives. False religions are idols. The idea that you could somehow earn your, your earn your right to be in the presence of God by your good works is the worst idol of all. Our Reformation heritage is famous for being iconoclastic. That means we destroyed idols. The original idols, they started out with this good purpose of, of, uh, of building these statues to teach the illiterate people rather than doing the hard work of teaching them to read and write. We'll make a picture. We'll, 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 we'll make a statue to represent these truths. And it was just a short step from making that to worshiping it. The only deliverance from idols is a new heart, a changed heart wrought in us through the work of the Holy Spirit on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ in his life, in his death and resurrection. His finished work crushed the power of idols. Like the, the idol of Dagon, they, they found in this, it just fell over flat on its nose. That's what God does. The children of God are given the strength, like, like Ezekiel's contemporary prophet Daniel, who's over in another part of the town uh, uh, preaching in Babylon and demonstrating faith in Babylon, refusing to bow down to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar erected, choosing rather the flames with his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, choosing to believe in God's deliverance rather than to bow down to them. The Lord has called us from idols. He's called us from idols to trust in the Lord Jesus forever. And the promise is great. I'll read it to you one more time. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard John writes, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. 
and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what God has prepared for us who believe and trust in him and turn from the idols of this world. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this great and joyful promise. Father, give us the grace to repent of our idolatry, to turn from them. Give us the grace to name them for what they are. And Father, the way that that affection for idols is to be replaced is by replacing it with a greater affection for you, Lord Jesus, in your word. We pray for that work to be wrought in each of us through the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.